You know those cigarette butts that you see every day? They're made of microplastics and they line our streets and waterways. On California beaches, they're the number one plastic you'll find. Over 35 years, cleanups have collected millions combined. But no matter where you see them, they're all getting smaller, eventually leaching into our food, our air, our water. The tobacco industry's to blame for all of the harm that they do. For the harm to the people we love, and the harm to you too. Learn more at undo.org. Welcome to an episode of Shortcomings, where we shoot the shit every single week about our favorite show, Sex in the City. I am your host, Samantha Bush, and I am joined by Chris Lewis. Hi, Chris. Hey there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I'm very excited. We've got a very special guest today. We've got a very special guest. Her name is Jennifer Cation Armstrong. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We're so happy to talk to you. Jennifer, you literally wrote the book on Sex and the City. I did. It's called Sex and the City and Us. It's a full retrospective on the show, the two movies, and it really helps to provide a social, political, and cultural context for the show. Um, It's actually very serious, as opposed to this podcast, which is very dumb. (laughs) And we appreciate you lowering yourself to be here. (laughs) fun too they're both you know you can it can we can do high and low just like sex and city itself right yes and that's really what this podcast is i'm high sam's low somewhere in the middle (laughs) i'm literally the lowest (laughs) but if you guys want a free copy of jennifer's book sex and the city and us subscribe to the dip that's d-i-p-p using the promo code S-A-T-C for 20% off your purchase. The first 10 to subscribe will get a copy and of course access to exclusive content, live chats, events, and more. So make sure you guys go subscribe to The Dip. I'd love to hear your superhero origin story because you've written three books about pop culture and all of them center on television. What was like the television that got you into TV? Oh, that's such a good question. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to, go with the promo answer a little bit here and say, so the first the first major book that I wrote about a TV show was about the Mary Tyler Moore show. Iconic. And um, while I was not born when it started in 1970, it was like, I think I was watching it, you know, you don't know when you're a kid, but I think I was watching it in syndication with my parents and was obsessed with it. I mean, I was like three and I was dressing up as Mary and Rhoda from the Mary Tyler Moore show. And I think there's a real through line there to Sex and the City. To me, like, right? Like, Mary Tyler Moore show starts at all. It's obviously a very different time, so it's a very different vibe, but it's the single woman, the the quintessential first big single woman, you know, single professional woman over 30 um, doing her own thing. And even, like, sex stuff, you know, at at that time, they had things like she was, they had a mention that she was on the pill. They had an episode where she stayed out all night and it was like scandalous across the nation. And like the TV show mod actually mentioned that Mary stayed out all night. Like it was a big deal. And you can see how, I mean, obviously things progressed quite a bit by the time of sex. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I always say like, I think Mary Richards would probably pass out if she saw an episode, you know, certain ones, especially if she had to watch like the anal sex episode of sex in the city, it might be a lot for her. But you're so right because Mary Tyler, that show, doesn't it? Well, a, obviously it has the girlfriend 
that importance that of too. your friend with Mary mm-hmm. and Rhoda. But then there's also a certain queer sensibility to it in the sense that like gay men are going to be obsessed with anything with, that has two women palling <laughs> around and being funny. And then yep. also, isn't it, there's like a, there is an episode, right, where Rhoda's brother's gay. Yes, it's a great episode. Yeah. I actually recommend people, especially if you like Sex and the City, if you have not watched the Mary Tyler Moore show lately or at all, um, it's on Hulu. I totally recommend going and binging it. You will love it. It holds up so well. And the fashion is gorgeous. Like these women, especially as it goes, like first, like a lot of shows at first, it's like, eh. And then they just like come into their own and the seventies fashion is just stunning and it's so good. And I really think people who are into sex in the city would love watching the Mary Tyler Moore show and people don't binge it as much as I think some other shows and as much as they should. Yeah. So if you've wasted your time watching the nanny, like I did also watch the Mary Tyler Moore show. Not that the nanny's a waste. The nanny is also awesome, but um, yeah, so that was, you know, so that I think, was I was really little when I was watching that and that was like one of the first shows that I was just obsessed with that and the Rhoda spinoff of the Mary Tyler Moore show and you know after like you know I I talk about this all the time but like they I would sit and that was when you'd still get the tv guide delivered to your house when I was a little girl and I would sit and like read everything in it and then like circle all the things I was gonna watch that week like that's the level from the beginning that I was sort of a yeah. TV nerd. And That's so quaint. Sam and I are the jankier like generation where we had to watch that scroll. scroll. <laughs> that fucking scroll. But it'd be like a thrill. I'd be like, oh, gotta get to channel 13. Fuck, it was 11. Yeah, it's like I was watching that scroll to see when like I Love New York is on. Like I was trashed <laughs> at a very yep. age. Yeah, That's that that makes total sense. I did the scroll thing as well and always a good time. Um, yeah. So that's how, I mean, from there, I was always into it. I was on staff at entertainment weekly, um, with Kate Ward. Oh, uh, shout out to Kate. Yes. And, you know, I was there for 10 years, covered a lot of TV and specifically was very like TV, like history, social issues, women on television. I covered like 30 rock that's and Tina awesome. Fey a ton And that kind of led into actually, you know, people like Tina Fey and Julia Louis-Dreyfus and lots and lots of women, Mindy Kaling, talking to me about how much the Mary Tyler Moore show meant to them was really what led me to write that first book. And I wrote a book about Seinfeld called Seinfeldia. And I wrote a book about Sex and the City called Sex and the City and Us, which is why we're here. That's why we're here. Well, before we get more into Sex and the City, I did want to say that I actually today was just looming through my Kindle and I own and read Seinfeldia and did not put that together until today. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So it's a great book and everyone should read that one also. What would you say of the, would you categorize the four characters of Seinfeld? Who's a Carrie, a Charlotte, Miranda, Samantha? (gasps) How has nobody ever asked me that? That's so good. Um, let's think about it. I mean, probably carries the Jerry, which is like an easy answer, right? right? But they're, they're the quote main He asks a lot of questions also. What's the deal? You know? (laughs) What's the deal? I wish she was always like, what's the deal with men and apartments or whatever? Um, yeah, he is like a sort of a catchphrase way of, of asking questions. He is the center, but is also not a good person. I mean, no one is a good person on Seinfeld. Or Sex in the City. Um, True, true. Um, so it's, it's, I think there's weird similarities. And I've always thought that because I wrote those two books, you know, next to each other. And even though obviously, people don't usually put them together. It's like the New Yorkiness, I always wanted 
Um, I always thought Elaine would do better if she could just meet the girls from Sex and the City and go off with them. Instead, she would have a much better life than hanging out with those doofuses. From Absolutely. Seinfeld. She'd be so much happier. So then I'm going to go, I'm going to say that Kramer is the Samantha. Wacky, kind of like great the, comic the, relief. The, the, you know, left field one, the one who sort of seems to have maybe another life a little bit off screen that we don't totally see. Kind of wild. The wild Oddly card. pulling a lot of women down. I think he definitely like, I think he, <laughs> I think he got it. That's what I think. I mean, I don't think we saw it a lot. I mean, Jerry Case did too, calls. right? So Jerry was a total slut, but, um, so I think that that means we're doing process of elimination to some extent here. I think Elaine is definitely the Miranda. That's there's no doubt about that. Actually, I always wow. thought that's why so I wanted her. You're gonna put George as my beloved Charlotte. Wow. I think George Chris, is Charlotte. Are you okay? However, if I'm a Charlotte, and if you had to ask me which of those four I am, I'd also say I'm probably George. Right. I mean, I, there's there is something there that I can't get to yet, but Elaine is definitely the Miranda because she's the most reasonable i mean no one's reasonable on that show but she is if there's a voice of reason it's her she is super smart i think she'd love to hang out with miranda i think she would like they'd get along and you know is kind of the intellectual superior of everyone else um so i think that that works and yeah i think spiritually at least george is the um he's Charlotte. an eternal optimist in some ways in, in some ways, and yeah, exactly. He's the only and one like, who seeks traditional marriage. He does get married. Well, he does. <laughs> doesn't, well, no, wait, he doesn't actually get married. Well, that's he gets not, engaged. That's true. He's close. Uh, yeah. He's the closest to yes. getting traditionally married. You know, always seeking something beyond what is available. Maybe that's, that's a little bit of it. Um, you know, and he's not far from Harry. <laughs> you can see it a little... A little These bit of hairy a shots. Both bald. Both bald. Both bald kings. Both bald and Jewish. I mean, I'm going to just go ahead and maintain that George is Jewish, even though there's confusing information about that, given that his last name is Costanza. I think he is the quintessential Jewish character, so we're just going to go with that. <laughs> Can you talk to us a bit about when you first started writing... <laughs> What was your process of writing the book? I mean, obviously a book like this requires a lot of research and speaking to people, which must be very fun, digging through interviews and uh, existing interviews and also reviews of the show. Can you talk to us how you approach books and how maybe approaching Sex and the City was different than approaching Mary Tyler Moore or Seinfeld? Yeah, um, it's. I do have a little bit, especially for these books that are like about a specific show or, you know, one thing. It's like I have kind of developed almost like a little step-by-step -step process, even though it's always overwhelming. Um, I always rewatch the entire thing. Uh, that's a rule, just because like most of the time I've seen the whole thing before I pitch the book. But it's like official. Once it's official, it's like we gotta because it's it's you're watching at a different level. Um, do all the things that are out there. So it's like, watch all the DVD extras, anything I can get my hands on. Obviously, Google, I do Google my, my subject. Um, but you know, see all of the big stuff that's out there first, and kind of take all that in so that when you go in to ask questions, you're not asking like the same exact questions they've been asked 3 billion times, you start at a higher level of like, you said this, can you expand on that or whatever. Um, and then yeah, it just becomes about like tracking down as many people as possible, as many people as you can get who were involved. But I also will often, I'm very interested in fan culture too with all of these. 
So I will always end up like there's a whole chapter in this book about the economy of sex in the city. And that means that includes like the bus tour and the cupcakes and the Manolos and all of that stuff. So I talked a lot to, you know, I talked to the people who run Magnolia, who bought Magnolia from its original owners, specifically because of sex in the city. Like he told me, like, we gave her millions of dollars to buy her cupcake store because I saw it on sex in the city. And I was like, this is going to blow up. So, you know, lots of that kind of stuff. I went yeah, on You the did tour. seem to talk to a lot of fans, and yeah, you didn't land on Sam and I. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading this, like, am I in this? That's right. I did actually, um, in this particular case, this was an unusual one. One of the things I really wanted to get at with this one is I think more than any other show I've ever written about, or mo- probably most other shows, period, I personally feel like this had such an impact on individual lives And so throughout, I have stories of people, individual, you know, regular locals just living their lives and loving Sex and the City. And I start the book with my own story of that. And, um, you know, also throughout the book had these stories of people and how this show fit into their lives, affected the way they talked about sex, people who came out because of Sex and the City People who, you know, my sister is a costumer on the show Chicago Med, and she got into fashion because of Sex in the City. And she talked oh, wow. about how she would sneak, you know, she was a kid when it was on. And so she'd have to sneak down into the basement and watch it. So my mom didn't know. And then she was like, she was like, unless I got, you know, I got Vogue and I had Sex in the City. And this was like before really the internet had completely exploded. And so she was like, this is how I got my fashion news at the time is like, you you found out what everybody was wearing because you got Vogue and because you watched Sex in the City. And that she was like, I, I didn't care about the sex. I was just watching for the fashion, you know. Um, so lots of stories like that. Gathered all of those. And also, you know, obviously, you know, you want to talk to the people who made the show. I talked to Candace oh Bushnell, which I was another, that was another part that I was super interested in is like, I know we kind of know that story, but I really wanted to know like the whole, like what it was like to be Candace Bushnell writing the column and then writing the book and then getting it optioned. And she sort of famously optioned it for, I forget it's in the book, 30 grand or something like that. Um, And then it just becomes this monumental thing. And it was really fun to hear about her uh, friendship with Darren Starr, who created the show and how that played into everything. And just all of the nostalgia, the 90s nostalgia is is heavy in that early time in particular. You mentioned someone and I'm going to turn it over to Sam because she has an obsession with Miss Bushman. It's sick. I love her so much. I've... I've done like so many deep dives on her, like on. And who else do you love? Ron Galati, the man who's now retired and like living on a farm somewhere, like living his best life. I'm like, I I just when I realized when Big was, you know, when I found out that he was like married after a real person, I was like, oh my god, I need to know who this man is. I need to know what he did. I need to know what he looks like. And I gotta say, he's he's very Mr. Big. Yep. What was really it like is. to interview her? Yeah, like what was that experience? I love that's actually it, it's actually one of my favorite interview experiences just because it is like oh, good. it was so what you want it to be. Like her and SJ both were both kind of like this. A lot of times you interview somebody and it's just like, I don't know, we went to Pen Quotidian, it was thir- 30 minutes the end, or we were on the yeah. phone. Boom. But in her case, it was just very Candace. Like she 
invited me to come to the bar in the in that bottom floor of the apartment building she lives on on the upper east side I believe it is um so I went there and actually funnily enough that that day Mary Tyler Moore died and so I was in the cab getting like a when when somebody who I wrote a book about dies it's always like a big day for me um I don't mean it's not in a good way but like you know I get lots of calls to be on tv shows and stuff and talk about their significance so I'm getting like a million calls while this is happening, like I got the call that she had died while this, while I was oh going to see Candace, which felt spiritually correct. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, it does. yeah. And so I went and, and met her and, um, in this, one of these, you know, fancy Upper East Side bars. Were you at the Regency? I don't think so. I can't actually quite remember which bar it was, but it's in the bottom of like a fancy apartment building that she lives in. And it was one of these deals where like, I think it's fine. I don't think it's like reflects badly. I think it's perfect for her. Like I get there and I got there a little early cause that's what I do. And I was like, I get, he gives me the menu. I was like, so do you have any wines by the glass? He's like, that's them. So you understand the pricing was so high on one glass that I was like, <laughs> I thought it was bottles. You were like, uh, sir, I don't want an $82 yeah. glass right. of wine. What's like, wrong with that? The minimum can't be a $25 glass of wine. Oh yes, it can. Okay, great. And of course I'm paying because I insist. Cause like, I right, can't, you know what I mean? Journalistically. So I'm like, cool. And then great. Like, you're panicking. Cause you're like, what is she going to order? <laughs> right. So I did treat her to like a $200, you know, sashimi and champagne dinner. And it was, it was quite pricey, but it was great. And the service was phenomenal, I have to say. And it was worth it. We'll be reaching out to you on the side to see if we can't get her, but we won't be paying her anything because it'll be on Zoom. (laughs) I don't know. We'll give her a good time. It, It was worth it. It was worth every penny. I don't regret it. You have this great quote from Michael Patrick King in the book when he talks about how grandiose she is and how she speaks in these big declarative statements that I just thought was must have made interviewing her very fun. That's She is. This is totally... And I just learned... I don't know if you guys got this press release too, but I just learned she's doing a one-woman show of her, her latest books, Is There Still Sex in the City, which is about like middle-aged to end up dating. And she'll be reading it? I, it's a one-woman show, so I think it's going to be even better than her reading it. I think it's going to be like her... Is she the star or is yes, she writing it? it's oh. her show. All right, Sam, <laughs> well, we'll be expensing tickets to that. I, I think we should all go and talk about it afterwards. <laughs> we should. It sounds amazing. She, well, she's so perfect for that because she is. She's so glamorous. She's the only person, one of the few people I can think of, who's written a book and somebody's been cast as essentially her, where you're like, the person who was cast as her was equally glamorous, not more. Usually it's like, it's like, it's somebody like me. And then Angelina Jolie plays me right. and it, you're like, oh, it's not the same. Um, this is like, they're both pretty glamorous and incredible. And yeah, she's so grand and she's so New York, old New York to me. Um, and she was so fun and she was so forthcoming. And I was so grateful for her because this for, I'm like you, like I, for whatever reason, when I was going, I guess, cause it's a writer thing. It's like, when I was going into this to me, yes, of course, it's going to be cool to talk to like Sarah Jessica or whatever. And it was, but like, to me, it was so exciting to talk to Candace Bushnell and for her to be like, cool. Like she was yeah, really like, I was scared she was going to be too, too much. Do you know what I mean? Like that there yeah. was, but she was very generous and has always been generous. Like she's talked about the book publicly. She has always answered my emails. Like, She's just 
really, she was so great for this and she understood what I was doing and told great stories. And I really wanted to tell, I get very obsessed too with the real versions of people. Obsessed. Right. I always want to know where characters come from and what it was like for them. And then what it's like to have yourself, a version of yourself portrayed. And she, she gets it. She knows that this is, this is her thing. Her, this is where her bread was buttered. This is her legacy. And she's- Did you get into, I would be so interested. So right, like the early part of the show is so much like her column. Yeah. And yet there was obviously a clear difference and convergence from that. Um, I'd say starting with season two, but certainly right. then three, four, five, and six yeah. in the movies, completely different. Totally. Did she, is she okay with that? Does she understand why it's that way? Was she appreciate, was, did she like the show as much when it went in the more, what you could call romantic comedy vein? I think she did. And again, I think she's so savvy too. Like we may never know if she secretly hates it. Cause she's like, cool. I enjoy the checks. Um, you know, like, no, she seems though, my impression, she's, she's, she talked to me about this and she has talked about this, that she had maybe some quibbles with the ending that were similar to my own quibbles and were similar to like Darren Starr's quibbles. Okay. Well, let's get into it. What what were your quibbles? quibbles. I think mainly the, the sort of like big grand gesture, big and Carrie ending up together. Let me rephrase this. Do you have a problem with the ending of the show or the, the show. ending of the okay. movies? The show. Like, the movies, I don't... I I didn't even dare ask, to be honest, about what she thought about the <laughs> Yeah, movies. don't ask about the second one, specifically. Yeah, but the ending of the show, I think... I mean, it, that's it's the kind of ending that is supposed to be, I think, up for some debate. I think that that's right. And Do you think so? I, well, that's a good question. Maybe not. I feel it's like they think it's comedy. the perfect ending. Yeah, it's a romantic con- comedy ending is what it is. It's what you th- sort of thought it was going to be. But I th- I agreed to some extent. And I know like Darren and she has bo- have both talked about like, it could have been cool if she, if Carrie chose to come back because of her friends, because she realized her friends in New York were her first, were her real love, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If anyone had ended up single would have been kind of nice. Um, instead of just everybody ending That's up. my huge... Yeah. That has always been my huge problem with the ending of the show, yeah. is, is that the final statement of singlehood in the series is, if you are single in this town after a certain point, there's nowhere to go but down. Right. It's like, I don't think that this show that is we've all loved and has given us permission to be okay with being single, that that should be the last thing we hear about it. And then the four women get fairy tale endings, which, by the way, I cry every time I watch that finale. Me too, even though I'm mad at it to some extent, I still feel that. It's only intellectually. I'm like, I don't think this is great. Right. Big is the worst of the matches. Like, I just, my whole thing at the, especially at the time. I got to tell you. Even more so, like, I've softened on this a lot. But at the time, I was so mad because, like, I just felt like you're, the whole point of Big is that he never comes to get you. If you have, if you've ever had a big in your life, which I had at the time, which is why I was so mad, but triggering, right? Like, so I was just like, no, he's, I can't sit here. I can't have somebody telling me he's going to come get me in Paris and like, you know, take me away from from troubles. (laughs) The perfect man. Wait, no one ever calls him by his character's name. Um, You know, like, I, I, I do like the whole point of him is he doesn't do that. That's why he's so frustrating. And they're so clearly so bad for each other. So 
that is that is the quibble, but I also totally get it. And it, he like it was in there from the beginning. That first scene with them in the pilot is amazing. You know, or first several scenes with them in the pilot are amazing. Well, I'll tell you, we recorded a podcast this morning where Sam and I watched poetic really about how did. much we love him. We fall under the trap of Mr. Chris is like, I understand him. I'm like, do you? <laughs> no, you don't. I was like, let's give this man his due. He's very char- charming, though, so and he's very, very sexy. Charming and so sexy. Who is your favorite man of Sex and the City? Like, it could be, it could be anybody. Not just like the main guys. It could be any random person that like is really stuck with you. That's a really good question. I just know that I do really like the other two couples. Like, I really, and especially Harry and Charlotte. Like, I'm very ride or die for Harry and Charlotte. Like, yeah. do not ever come for that. Yeah, couple. though, Steve and Miranda stands really had to go through something with that first Please don't movie. Talk about that. That for, that movie you was rough. You can't bother though, Harry and Charlotte. Like Charlotte's been through enough, and it's almost like she earned the perfect she man. Did. And we can never touch. Yeah. The worst thing he can no. do is put his balls on her white couch. And That's the, it. And That's the it. tea. That's the tea it. bags. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I just I I feel so protective of them, and I also really believe that Charlotte ended up with the best arc of all four women. Like, you don't notice it. I only noticed it on the rewatch for this book that I was like, wait, she goes through it and comes out and, like, she, like, her acting gets better and better all the time. Like, she's just so great. Um, so I really like them. And I do like Steve. I, I Steve oh, is just very, like, Steve. right? Mm-hmm. He's just so regular. the only and man maybe... on this show I like is big. Yeah. Well, you also like Capote Duncan, as we've discussed. Oh, that's true. Correct. <laughs> I mean, the name alone. That's a great name. Great actor. He was also on Big Little Lies. That, ah, that name is so, so Sex in the City. It's so perfect. Well, I mean, Candace came up with it. It's so, it's in the book. I love it so much. I And I'm not saying, and to be very clear, I'm not saying this is one of my favorites, but Burger really stuck with me too. I mean, yes. obviously not because he's a good character, like a good person. He's so knowable. Yeah, but he's like... So real, like I felt like I was like I felt like I had dated him like ten times, yeah. and so when he showed up, I mean, literally, guys who look like that who are authors, do you know what I mean? Like it was like, oh my god, I've been in this so many times. It felt like they were documenting my own life, so I didn't like like you knew him. him, like you felt it. Yeah. yeah, I felt it so strongly, and I also really felt the. Aiden thing, though I definitely do not think that she and Aiden should ever have been together in Never. their life. Shortcomings is not an Aiden no, podcast. We are not. No. You're not pro Aiden. No. This is a politician John Slattery podcast. He's the <gasps> only. I mean, John Slattery li- literally doing anything. Exactly. She should have peed on him. I... Just, just go take it. it. Just go. My friend always says he's like, it's mostly water, anyways. I was like, I was like, alrighty. And also, he's not asking to pee on you. It's like, that's... I know. She, pee on she him. Like, Do you want to just, like, listen to me pee? What if I dripped some warm tea <laughs> on like, you? Carrie. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh, my God. So one of the things that when we first started this, we were so, I think, and I don't know if you agree, Sam, genuinely surprised by the initial reviews to the show. Oh. Which oh. are... And you get into that in the book. You do, yeah. The one about her face, I was like... It's like... What the fuck? And could you... So coming from the space of, right, like you'd worked in entertainment and writing about things. Yeah. 
I mean, was it the, just the norm to talk about people's, like you would never talk about someone's looks in a review like that now. Do you remember reading a ton of reviews like this? Or, or was this show a particular agitator to a certain kind of male critic? I think it was an agitator. I mean, it's the only, it's one of my favorite things. We were talking about the process of, of, you know, research. And honestly, like I always go because it's funny. These books have a certain pattern and overall it's always like, no one thought it would work. Then they put it on the air and they had to fight with executives, but then it was a huge hit, you know? And part of that is almost always the reviews. And there is something very satisfying about the time machine aspect of being able to read early reviews of something that becomes iconic. And all of my shows had this. The Mary Tyler Moore show, they're they're equal in a way because they're all like, why is this? How sad is it that this woman is single? I mean, who wants to watch a show about a single sad lady who's over 30? Like, it's so crazy. Yeah. The only way to read those reviews, and I almost feel embarrassed for the people who wrote them now. Because when you read it, you're like, oh, sweetie, you're like really working. One of them has a Pulitzer. Yeah. It's, and at the time, too, obviously there wasn't social media. So those reviews were like all you had to go on in what people, what you thought people's responses were going to be. Whereas like now, it's like if you get a a bad review, you can go on Instagram and people will support you and love you and Twitter and you know what I mean? Like it's so different. And there also wasn't this recap culture of like, when we were doing it, there was like, oh, these critics have seen the first two episodes, they are reviewing it, and that is the word on this entirety yeah. of this 12-episode show. And no one will probably ever rewatch it a million times. Like, that's probably what they were thinking. Like, Well, that too. Now you have, like, two clowns, like me and Chris, like, dissecting every single second. Exactly, over and over. Sam, did I tell you someone called us experts recently? I was like, we're truly just two clowns with mics. Yeah. We're not, we're talking to an expert now. And the other thing, you mentioned social media. Another thing about these reviewers that you have to keep in mind is like, these people would be eviscerated in five seconds on the internet if they wrote this stuff now. Like, the internet would come for Tom Shales of the Washington Post and be like, sir. He would not have a job. Oh, I would have like, I don't live that far from DC. I would have taken my ass down there. (laughs) The sexism of his, and he had a problem with, I think, specifically Sarah Jessica. It was really bad. We read it in the first episode. He's really, and it's like, so yeah, a lot of people came for like their looks and called them sluts. And like even some female reviewers wrote like crazy stuff. There was, I just can't remember who was like one of the female reviewers who was like very upset on behalf of her husband who had to sit there and listen to them make a joke about a man's private parts and compare it to a gherkin. They, that was very, very upsetting for her husband. I hope you know. And it was very like her whole well, take. Well, talk about telling on your husband. That's true. And her whole take and a couple other female critics' takes were very like, oh, the poor single ladies. It, that's, it was kind of like that. Like, thank God. Just so you know, I don't have to be part of this scene because my husband was watching it with me. And, you know, it's like very Bridget Jones. You know how like in Bridget Jones, they're like always single shaming her. It's very like that vibe in the reviews. When do you think it, the show changed in terms of its critical, its critical reception, right? Like eventually it would go on to, I think, in season four win an Emmy like when do you Mm -hmm. although I think a lot of that had Mm -hmm. to do with um I don't know 9-11 this kind of appreciation for New York because I think Friends then won like the next year like there was this like this is a New York show and that's something we want to support but do you think there's a clear point in the show in which people started to appreciate it more because season run is I mean 
It's probably around that time. Like, I think it actually took that long because you're right. Season one wasn't going to be it. But it was a hit pretty quick. Like, relatively speaking for HBO, it was a pretty clear hit right away, which I always like to point out. It was before The Sopranos. It put HBO on the map before The Sopranos. And before fucking Game of Thrones. Um, and they understood that they had something right away. But it really, it's, and I think it's still a struggle. Like, I don't know how much you guys have perceived this, but especially being out there with a book about this, I can feel that it's still, and maybe the movies kind of went, took us backwards a little, but there's still this like, this like, oh, isn't that show about like shoes and cosmos? And it's like, well, yes, I can't say it isn't, but the, the struggle to be taken seriously. And I'll like, if I'm being very honest, I can tell you even like having had a book about sex in the city come out after a book about Seinfeld, seeing the difference between those two and the review difference, like the review attention that they got. It's very interesting because, you know, it's still, there's still a lot of white male, white straight male critics out there who just went crazy for a Seinfeld book and then didn't quite take a sex in the city book as seriously. So it's still this like, and it was a struggle for me, like in the packaging of the book, they, there were a couple things they wanted to do that I was like, absolutely not. You cannot do that. Like the subtitle is about is how four wh- single women change the way we think, live and love. And at some point somebody wanted to take think out of it of all things. Like, and I was no. like, no. They were like, uh, women have never thought, Jen, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was intentional in that case. Like they were trying to just shorten it. It can't be like, of course there's going to be pink on the cover, but it can't be too pink. You know, like I was just very worried all the time. So many people still say to me, like, they're like, you know, that show's actually really good. I'm like, yeah, that's why I wrote a book about it. But you know, like there's still, especially men, especially straight men who will be like, you know, I watched that and it's good. Well, hopefully we're getting closer and closer to abolishing them. And the only ones who can stay can have to pass a Sex in the City quiz. That's right. If you come out as big, yeah. you might be able to stay. One can only hope, Chris. Aiden, get the fuck out. Aiden or Burger, no. Yeah. And if they don't come out as hairy, they're gone. So Sam and I just this morning recorded the final episode of season one which of our podcast, which we did struggle with. We What do you, crazy. you know, this will come out right in the time in which we're, um, getting ready to finish up season one. What did you, what do you think of season one, given that we just finished it? Yeah. Season one, like you said, like you said, it's rough. And especially like when rewatching it, right. Rewatching it as a fan who has been through all of this and going back to it, they were still figuring a lot of stuff out. And I think I even talked about this in the book, like a lot of changes happen during and after season one, when they kind of, first of all, realized, like I said, that they have something Then they're like, oh, we got to hire a real staff and stuff. You know, like there's a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And between season one and two is really when they make big changes in terms of they stop doing that thing where they do the man on the street interviews because they realize like, oh, we have enough to fill like a real half hour. We don't need to be screwing around. Oh, we should probably write a Samantha storyline instead of having people talk. Exactly. Like who cares what this construction worker thinks about sex? Like I would just like to know what Samantha's doing instead. And so... And that's when Michael Patrick King comes on, like, and they really start to give it that emotional depth, as opposed to that first season is very much closer to Candace's columns, in that each episode feels fairly self-contained. It's a little more sitcom-ish. Yeah. Later, they start to really get emotional and also that arc, 
Whereas the first season really felt like they didn't know what they had yet. And I think they all, they would all tell you that though, too, that like, you know, they just, that's what, and then they start really hiring that staff that would be thus, you know, the women who would. Well, that's what I was going to say that I think is your book does such a beautiful job of doing, which is this show gets this um, rap for being like four women who are actually gay men. And yet the season we don't like really that much is the season that is primarily written by right. two gay men. And yet they then hire a staff of really great female writers who I think consistently yep. stay through the next several seasons. And that's when the show gets really good. So yes, Michael Patrick King is the face of the show, but I feel like there's a great undercurrent of mm -hmm. female writers who you're and your book does a really good job of sending yeah I, i'm always the the writers of the shows are always my favorite sources um probably because of i'm a writer but also yeah. because they often have store like no one's asked them or not as many people have asked them as much and yet they're usually the ones who actually experienced the things that went into the scripts right yeah and especially for this one that was actually the impetus a lot for this book is like Back when I was at Entertainment Weekly, when the show was wrapping up and the movies were wrapping up, we did a lot of reporting and I was part of that. And I talked to some of the writers then and they were telling me these stories of like, my favorite was like talking about how hard it was to, for them to date. Once they would say like, I'm a writer on Sex in the City, guys would be like, oh, like it'd either freak a guy out or they would start acting weird and like trying to essentially get into a script and either way was not desirable. Um, and so one of them said like a guy broke up with me cause he found out I was a writer on sex in the city and that freaked him out too much. So, you know, that all of that stuff is so interesting to me. And there's a, at least one whole chapter that's really just about the writers and then they're throughout as well, but all the stuff about them and this writing staff in particular, the way that they had a van that would come pick them up to take them to the studio, which was in Queens. And they all lived in Manhattan cause that's what you did then. And so they'd have like this van that would come pick them up in the city and take them over the bridge to Silver Cup in Queens. And they'd be in the van and they'd all talk about like their dates from the night before to like get started. Like that was the, the van talk was the first part. And then they'd get to the studio and Michael Patrick is there. And so then it's time for what they called host chat, which is where... They, they, they called it that because it's like the beginning of a talk show where you kind of just banter around like, what? Oh, so Kelly, what did you do last night? Oh, Ryan, let me tell you. You know, it's like that kind of thing. So they would do that with Michael Patrick. So now we're processing all of our dates a second time and we haven't even started writing yet. Sounds like a nightmare. And then, so it's like this big group therapy. Wow. And then they'd go to the writer's room for real and start hammering it out. And another thing that I thought was so interesting about them is that they a huge part of their process is that they would fight about things like among themselves like and that would often become the little kind of socratic debates in the at brunch you know what do we all think about bisexuality i mean actually the bisexuality thing and all of that is very problematic yeah, you talked about that in your book yeah i i felt like i had to yeah i think it's important to take kind of like that critical eye yeah and as much as we love this show it's like we have to acknowledge that it's very problematic at times. Yes. Yes. Particularly about, yeah, queer issues and that part. And you also dedicate a portion of the book, which is very good. And I'm not looking forward to these episodes when we have to recap them where they gently touch oh God. on race. The, the one is not oh. gentle. 
There is an episode. Oh, I was just thinking of Dr. Robert. No, yes, I try to not think the, about that one. The one where Samantha dates a black man. Yeah, and his sister owns the restaurant. Yes. And his sister owns a restaurant, and he is a hip-hop producer because that is what all black men are. Did you know that, Chris? Well, that's what, well, that's what we do. <laughs> Did you know? Yeah. As a black with I, run, I also run Obviously. a hip-hop label. Let's... And your sister runs a Soul Fusion restaurant, right? God forbid she'd be able to cook anything else. And you else. wear jewelry. Which, by the way, it is like that is true, but this way, the way they did it is so awful. I, there's a great article, and people should read it, in which someone interviewed the actress who plays his sister, and she talks about, like, yeah, this wasn't a great script, but it was also, I loved right. this show. Right. And you, you do talk to a few um, black folks who are like, you know, it's tough to... Yes, I wish there was more diversity, but I still identify with these women, as we yeah, all do. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, that one is so interesting. To me, that episode's so interesting because it's clear that they just decided one day to tackle race in one episode. To me, it shows, it's almost like you wish they had just not even tried in that, you know, like just don't do race then if you can't. Just don't do, do it. You yeah. know, it's just really hard. And it's like, I literally call that the racist episode. Um, it's just, it's so hard to watch with our 2021 eyes is the main. And the same thing with the, the bisexuality one makes me absolutely bananas when Carrie dates a bisexual guy. And um, the sort of kicker is that she goes with him to this party, I think in Brooklyn, which is also hilarious. Because of course, that's where all the bisexuals are in Brooklyn. And well, you know. Something to <laughs> she <true. laughs> freaks out because they play spin the bottle and she's supposed to kiss Alanis Morissette and this woman who is a sex columnist in New York City in the 21st century runs out because she's so terrified. And I'm like, why would you not make out with Alanis Morissette? Like, it's right there waiting for you. Yeah. And your response as a woman of the 90s is to run away and to also say that bisexuality is a stop on the way to gay town. Like, what what are you doing? What I love is that we are looking back on all of these things with, and it's like, okay, this is like problematic. But one of my favorite things though, is I think that there's this newfound appreciation and love for Miranda in 2021, in 2020. Like, absolutely. I think Miranda was the most harshly criticized, especially by women because she was so outspoken. I think she challenged a lot of women's views. She wasn't the traditionally like sexy one. Like I just remember growing up and nobody wanted to be a Miranda. That's right. And now I'm like, okay, I want, I need to be a Miranda. We all want to be Mirandas now. And I think I wrote a blog post that was literally had, had that as its headline, but it's, Really, it's I, I actually can remember people in interviews. I can't remember specifically who it was, but people talking about and pretty they're very like weirdly frank about like in general when about auditions and especially when you talk about auditions from you know the nineties, eighties, that like anything from the past. They were very like, we were looking for a fat lady or like what you know what I mean? Like they're very like yeah. weirdly oh, crass boy. about the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And I remember them talking to me about how like, yeah, she was not supposed to be attractive. Like that was like the whole like Oh yeah, well the yeah, ugly the smart one, woman. you know, is going to yeah. be over here. And the main, one of the big things about um, casting her, casting Cynthia, was that like everyone was like, it was amazing. She just didn't care that this was supposed to be the ugly lawyer character. Like she didn't mind that at all. What a cre what a 
you know. Oh my God, she was an actress. chick, you know, it was just such a strange. So like when I see pictures of the revival, cause I'm sure you've seen all the photos that it looks like they're giving her more of her due because, yeah. and I feel like they did that with the first movie, which I feel like we're not discussing, but, and that's okay. But like the early seasons, like they did her dirty. Oh yeah. Oh my God. They were cruel when they made her have braces. But I think that I think that is also Cynthia Nixon. She likes that. Like I'm a totally. character actress. Totally. She's not there to be glamorous. Right. She's not there to wear shoes. It actually seems like I watched an interview with her. She's not as comfortable with where it ultimately would go where Miranda basically became a glamazon. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And she was very like She's like that's she's a lawyer. They, she should not be yeah, wearing Yeah, they this. loved her from the beginning because she was just ready to get in there and not she's not trying to like pull focus from Carrie and be more glamorous than she is. And I really dig that. We have to talk briefly, though, about the feud. Yes. Because you write, I think, very well about it in the book. And I think very reading your book gave me almost a new. By the way, I'm always a Kim Cattrall stand. But it gave you like a different perspective, I feel like. It gave a really different perspective on, I think, some legitimate issues she might have had, particularly around pay parity. And it is just interesting to me that after all of these conversations we've had low these past few years, important and necessary conversations, that the it is a little strange that the kind of machine behind and just like that and the show now isn't really acknowledging the fact that basically she was saying, mm-hmm. like, I'd like to be paid for my work. And for Michael Patrick King to kind of say, like, well, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker was a movie star and had a great con. None of that matters. They should be paid because of their work on this show. Mm-hmm. And right. there's a little, you know, it's a lot fuzzier. And I think your book gives some real credence and I think isn't as one-sided as that conversation could be. Is that hopefully how you wanted to approach it? Yeah, for sure. And it's also important to note, like, when I was writing this book, we hadn't we did, hadn't had the definitive confirmation publicly that they, each other. that they hated each other. So I wanted to be really careful with that narrative because I didn't want to feed more. I couldn't not talk about it, but I didn't want to feed more into, because I think it's actually very indicative of like, we were just talking about how hard it is to get people to take sex in the city seriously. And then it's like, when it does get coverage, what gets covered is the feud. And so I just really didn't want to, like, I dug into that. I went back and I tried to find patient zero in terms of like, when did somebody first say something about this feud? I believe it was New York Magazine. And it really does. I mean, clearly we all know it's legitimate now, so it's easier to talk publicly about it. But it seems like one of those things that like starts with the small thing and then kind of over time gets amplified. And like you said, I think everybody probably has legitimate pieces of this. And the thing that I always say now too is just like, okay, so because people love to be like, oh, Kim Cattrall is such a bitch because she doesn't want to do this and she doesn't appreciate what she has. And like, that's always the take on this. And I'm always like, if you worked with people and you like got through several years together doing something really amazing, but you were like, didn't love them. You didn't love hanging out with them. The three of them are over there having their fun and you're not quite part of it. And then, and you're a little older than they are, there's a number of reasons why this happens. And you get through it. And you did a great job. And now, oh, two more movies. Okay, fine. Um, Will I always be the sexualized one who's always naked? Sure, I'm game, because that's how cool I am. 
And I do love that they called her the Lucille Ball of sex scenes. I think that that's like one of, I think it was Michael Patrick King who said that to me for the book. And I love that. Um, but you know, you just get to it and then you're not getting paid the same as Sarah Jessica. She should have been paid more. And you know, you just get to the point where you're like, you're also now, however old she is now over 60, I think maybe. Um, but you know, it doesn't really matter except that I understand that with age comes a point where you're just like, fuck it. And you know, she, I think it makes sense that at some point you say like, that is not something I wish to spend some of my precious remaining moments Mm -hmm. on earth on and that's just and I have enough like people are you can never win as a public figure because like people are mad if you know Jerry Seinfeld turns down millions of dollars to keep making Seinfeld and says no I'm done it's not gonna be good anymore if we keep going people get mad about that people get mad no matter what you do as a public figure Mm -hmm. and I think to have a boundary and be like no thank you I would like to just be up in Canada or England or wherever she is now and be scatting. Every, scat- every the day we're like iconic. We talk about the scatting every episode. <laughs> we uh, we we find a way to like weasel it into the conversation. I'm like, there was jazz music playing in the background of that scene, much like, like that scatting, scatting video of Kim Cattrall. It is a cultural reset. That that video for me, there's a time before I saw that video. And a time after I saw that video. I'll never forget where I was. And I like (laughs) called friends. I was like getting them on the phone. Like, have you seen this? You're making, you're reviving it in my head. I want to like share it around again. So we will let you go, but I, we would be remiss not to ask you, what do you want out of the revival? What would be a good experience of, and just like that for you? And what do you think of that title? I really, I almost refuse. I'm starting to finally use it. But for a lot, I still like most of the same time say Sex in the City reboot because I can't with like ellipses. Everybody does. And 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 an ellipses in this. I just I don't get it. It really took me a while to even understand that they were not kidding that that was what they were called. You know, I I thought it was a joke at first. Yeah, I think we all did. I thought it was like what they were calling that teaser video. I didn't really understand that's what. But I saw them filming on the street in the sign. You know how they put it on the sign that says like production. And it says, and just like that, I was like, okay, I guess we're really doing this. So we're for, they're forbidden from using sex in the city. Ugh. Um, I don't know what that's about. I don't know why we have that hang up. Build a strong brand only to call it something stupid. But I feel like this is one of the greatest pop cultural high wire acts of our time. That is what I can say. This is such a risk. And you know, you could just leave it alone. We all have, we all have made our peace with the movies. You don't, ha- it's not so important to erase the movies. Like we've all just like moved on. I love that. the first movie. I do too. The second Completely one is fine. best thought of as an event, not a movie. Yes. It's, it's a parody. Maybe if they said it was a self parody, it would be fine. But you know, I don't think they were so, so egregious that like they had to redo this, but they I are, think the second one is pretty. <laughs> we needed pretty a reset. <laughs> in this time, especially when they first announced this, which was like not that long after George Floyd, per, you know, that we were still in the midst of jo- George Floyd protests. And they were like, we think it's a good idea during a pandemic and a huge, you know, racial reckoning to bring back this show of all shows. I was like, wow, that's a choice. That's a bold move. And I just think it's everybody's coming for it. Everybody's going to want to make fun of it. 
but everybody's going to watch it just to see they're going to want to like have a take and everybody is going to want to take it down if they can. So I just think it's so brave is what I can say. And on the other hand, I think the people who make this show are incredibly smart. And given who they've hired for the writing staff, I'm like, okay. I mean, they've hired a number of black women um, who also have Oh, wow. I didn't know it had a writing staff. I thought it it was just Michael Patrick King. That's good. That makes me happy. Do you think he was just sitting with his typewriter? I thought it was him, like, just like, I thought them singing I Am Woman in Dubai was a good idea. (laughs) And here we go again. Where I think it's so smart. Like, so, and I know that. And I know that, like, SJ understands. Like, she's so savvy and, like, very careful. Do you know what I mean? So, like, she knows every like she understands everything going on here she understands all of the things and would not do this without being careful i have a number of fears even with that you know what i mean i have a number of fears that we might overcorrect for instance on the wokeness scale um you know i'm not sure if we're all here for carrie bradshaw like explaining black lives matter to us um but it's a really strange interesting time it's a little better now than it would have been in the middle of the pandemic <laughs> if i if I, if she says black lives matter i i will lose my goddamn mind right because this woman didn't vote she's not registered to vote <laughs> that's well exactly this is where i'm like the the culture that produced sex in the city and made it so important is so different now and so to come with this very white show you know very wealthy show um very glamorous show we are not in a glamorous time we are you know having a racial reckoning we are doing all this stuff i think it's going to be interesting and i cannot wait to see it and i think like i said i do think that the people involved are so mm-hmm. smart and whatever we've heard so far about the hires you know whether the actors or i'm excited to see sato ramirez on that i'm a, a Old school yes. Grey's stand. Callie. Shout out to Callie Torres. Mm-hmm. I love Callie Torres and I am here for her to be Are doing you this. Are at all that Chris Noth said yes? I mean. Because I, I, I think he said no. He got kicked, dragged. He was, Sarah Jessica Parker, she, I think, had to go to him. Get him drunk off tequila. She had to go to him a bag of money and be yeah. like. <laughs> I think Sarah Jessica actually just with walked a, around with to like everyone. A with a burlap sex. sag. Yeah, of, she was like, with, we're doing With a this. dollar sign on it and was like, here's some tequila and here's a million dollars. He doesn't talk very fondly about the show at times. So I was just very surprised to, to see him finally sign on. Yes, I think there's a lot of money involved in this in general. HBO understands what, they, like I said, don't you think everyone's going to watch Everyone. it? Like, it, they may not watch it with good intentions. People who've never seen an episode of Sex and the City are going to watch yeah. this so that they can tweet about it and say how much they hate it. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's is, going to create I mean. is a like, groundswell of media attention. It's going to be huge. I'm actually almost, I don't want to say surprised, but like, now that I can feel how it is leading up to it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be... When they first announced it, I was like, does anyone care? And now I'm like, oh, no, no. This is going to be a huge deal. It's probably going to be, I mean, w- one of the biggest, if not the well, biggest, they already reboots. are doing... They already are signing on to do a second season, is what I heard. I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. Is there one It's a lot thing, of money. And we'll end on this because we have to let you go. Yeah. But right, for Gilmore Girls, which is m- one of my other favorite shows of mm-hmm. all time... When that revival was announced, what I wanted more than anything I kept saying to people is, is I just want to see the th- those three women, Rory, Emily, and Lorelai, talking. That's all I care about. 
is there one thing you want, you need this revival to give you? Is it clarity with Big and Carrie? Is it more scenes of Charlotte and Harry eating Froyo? <laughs> exactly. Um, I think, it, I mean, it's, it's a, this is a sort of boring answer to this in a way, but it's, it's similar to what you said. I think it really is about seeing even just those three women. It's going to, we're going to feel the loss of Samantha. That's the other part that I think is sort of risky about this is like, not only are you coming back in this totally different time, but you're down, you're, you know, they're all iconic, but you know what I mean? Like she was kind of the poster girl for, she was the sex. And, you know, I think that, but I do, part of me, even though I'm saying all this stuff, maybe what I am sort of also looking forward to is that feeling that we all like about reboots in some ways, which is just like seeing those characters who are so clearly defined. And I think this about Seinfeld a lot too. Like you'll always see people speculating about what would Seinfeld be like in a pandemic or something. And I think Sex and the City is similar in that you have these very clear characters. You could drop them on the moon and then everybody would have guesses that would be very good about what would happen with them. And I think that's very similar with these characters in a modern setting. And I think it, it's going to be amusing to see, especially like I'm, a Harry who couldn't handle a cell phone and had to like hire Jennifer Hudson to like open a computer and type on it for her. Or and whatever. she put her at a folding table when they met at that Starbucks and then she gave her a purse. Um, you know, she like, I think it is going to be somewhat fun to just see these people again. And also just to see, I mean, mm-hmm. something that I'm very pro about this is to see women this of this age group on television mm-hmm. talk and not just that but like having sex lives presumably you know having love lives talking about real things that's what they've always been the best at is actually reflecting real women's lives and yes we have grace and frankie and that's great but we could use something between like 30 and grace and frankie on television yeah. you know i i have a theory that that for that some of the reason these women are even so excited to come back is because, like, what other roles can you get at that age that are this good? I haven't seen Kristen Davis in anything, and I'm so excited to see her again. She's been saving the elephants this whole time. Love Kristen Davis. Like I said, I think Love. she's the secret. I think that character is actually the key to Sex in the City. And best drunk show. acting of oh. anyone of all time. The few times she has to be drunk on the show, and Kristen Davis has been very open that she struggled with alcoholism. Best drunk acting. Mm -hmm. She's just the sweetest and cutest and best. And she was one of my favorite interviews too. So I am pulling for honestly all of them. That's the thing is like, I think that these, the actual women, you know, the women playing them, I am pulling for them and I'm excited to see them again doing this thing. And especially in this time, we'll see what they do. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. This has been so amazing. And thank Thank you for writing the book on the show we all love of course i'd love to i'll come back anytime if you guys want to talk about the reboot or anything oh my god i don't even know what's gonna happen it's gonna be a time it's gonna be a a time to be had (laughs) we uh, you know it's we're ready i'm ready we're excited we're ready but we're terrified because i'm like because like you said it could go either and they're gonna announce it like they're you know how they're gonna be this is how hbo is they're gonna be like Congrats, it's on tomorrow. Go. Like, they're going to yeah, just like, like drop I'm it hearing off. it's coming this year. Yeah, it's definitely coming soon. Chris is like, we have three months left in this year. Give me a premiere date. But again, we have to remember, in, they dropped Insecure. They were like, oh, Insecure is coming in two weeks. It's like, wait, yep. what? Mm-hmm. I think that's just like, the, this is like a new strategy. They're like, we know like, you guys want it. You'll watch it whenever the fuck right. we give it to you. 
Exactly. Like you've seen all <laughs> yeah. the clothes already on the Instagram. So any day now. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks, Bye. guys. Have a good day. Bye. Sam, that was so much fun. What, what a, what a gift. A gift, not to just to us, but to our listeners. I hope you people are happy <laughs> that we gave you someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah, it was, it was a breath of fresh. It really was to simply speak to someone who has actually, you know, watched the show and likes it. Whereas, you know, we really struggled through season one. But it was nice to dip into like what we're going to talk about later. Yeah, and like she talked to everybody involved. Like, oh that's... my god, do you think she would connect us with Candace? Oh, I was about to ask. I would rather talk to Candace Bushnell than Sarah Jessica Parker. Is that weird? I will not say that out loud on a recording, only because I want Sarah Jessica Parker to eventually come Sarah on. Jessica Parker, we love you. I called you a tremendous actress earlier today. Yeah, the best actress of our time, actually. But I, I you know I, I love should, Candace. I think I'll be sending a follow-up email to see if we can't get her on. <laughs> Perfect. But guys, you have to read Sex and the City and Us. It is a wonderful book. I read it in one sitting. It's so fast. It's the perfect present. I believe this revival's coming before the holiday season. So it's a great present to get people. And if you sign up for the dip now, you can get a signed copy, personalized even. Sam, can you tell them more about that? Yeah, if you want a free copy of Jennifer's book, Sex and City and Us, make sure you subscribe to The Diff using the promo code SATC for 20% off your purchase. The first 10 to subscribe will get a copy and of course access to exclusive content, live chats, events, and more. And that is at thediff.com. That's D-I-P-P. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you soon. All right, bye. Everyone is howling about Paws of Fury. It's the most fun comedy of the summer. I am your father. What? No, I'm not. <laughs> Michael Sarah. It's showtime. And Samuel L. Jackson. What the mother father cock of spaniels going on here? Paws of Fury. Only in theaters this Friday. Rated PG. Message. Hey, man, it's Devin. You know, from that time you accidentally emailed me because you thought I was a different Devin. <laughs> oh, and your email signature said confidential. If you receive this in error, please delete. <laughs> That's so you. Anyway, I heard you bought a boat. When are we set in sail, Captain? <laughs> when you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Oh, and uh, no, you did not receive this message in error. <laughs> Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Annual Premium for Basic Liability Policy not available in all states.